Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Playwright Repertory Podcast. I'm Mitchell Huntley, here with... Wait a minute. Where's Sarah? I'm here with Ben Suskin, our guest co-host. Ben, oh, hey. How's hi. it going? <laughs> Where's Sarah, Ben? Um, actually, you know, I haven't seen her for the past couple days. Do, do you know? Has, has she told you anything? Oh, hold on. I'm just getting word now. She is in cell block 2187 on the Death Star. We'll get a team of people on the Falcon to go rescue her. I mean, I'm pretty sure she's probably tripping out. Like, you know, she's the biggest Star Wars fan I know. So I'm pretty sure she's having a great time. <laughs> yeah. So welcome to the Playwright Repertory Podcast. Uh, our play today is Blacktop Jungle by Jared Goudsmith. And our playwright is, drumroll please, Jared Goudsmith. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, I'm super thrilled to be here, man. Yeah, we're thrilled to have you. I said before we started recording that uh, Sarah and I know uh, Jared... It's good to see you again. Good to talk to you. Good to see you as well. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to start off with a game that we uh, play with every one of our guests. It's called Magnet to Your Computer. And it's, do you know what the game Gun to Your Head is? Yes, I do. do? Yeah. <laughs> Great. For audience and people who haven't listened before, the game Gun to Your Head is where like you have to answer really quickly. You're on a timer and uh, you have to answer as fast as you can all these different questions. Uh, we say Magnet to Your Computer because as playwrights, our computer is usually where our plays are stored. So our that's life like <laughs> your lifeline. Yes. And so when you put a magnet to your computer, it wipes all your data. So it's like it's a good comparable thing. So it's going to be run by Ben and Ben, you can uh, take it away. All right. Lift off and the clock has started. Magnet to your computer. Question one. What color would you define yourself as? Indigo. Ooh. All right. Uh, Shake Shack or Five Guys? Five Guys. All mm. the way. Mm-hmm. The free peanuts. Love it. Definitely. Yeah. 100 percent. Favorite filmmaker. Ooh, Coen Brothers. Coen Brothers. Oh, Love them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> All right. This is the story one. You have a, acute appendicitis and it's about to burst. You have no time to make it to the hospital. This is happening here and it's happening now. Who is making the cut? Who is making the cut? There's only one person I can trust in that situation. Myself. <laughs> oh, damn. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> That's hardcore. <laughs> Best show to binge during quarantine? Oh, my goodness. Oh, I mean, you got to go with Tiger King. I mean, it's topical. It's insanity. It's the American way. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Only one secular holiday can remain. You got Halloween, Valentine's Day, and Thanksgiving. Oh, Halloween. I love Halloween. It's the night of terror. I don't want to go in too much of a tangent during Magnet to Your Computer, but I will say, in St. Louis, where I am located, uh, back in the day, back in the 1800s, trick or treat, the trick was, you know, egging your house. The treat was actually <laughs> furniture. Furniture. Everybody, every adult had to stay at home. They put furniture on their front porch as an offering, and the children of the street would grab the furniture and take it to the end of the road, pile it up, and light it on fire. It was beautiful. Oh my God. Southern California really needed to step it up. 1800 St. Louis knew what was up. That's a time. (laughs) Wow. All right. Just stay warm then. (laughs) (laughs) yeah okay next question you can go back to any time period in history where are you going or um when are you going oh come on that's that's some that's some bs man when are you going when are we um renaissance love the renaissance can't help ourselves some disease maybe but we love it you're 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 immune to it you're you're living in the 21st century they got they have to worry about that okay um favorite citrus fruit favorite citrus fruit the lemon the classic 
Classic. The greatest. Yeah, classic. Okay. This one, I, I this is a hard one for me. Um, you can only read one genre of play for the rest of your life, classical or contemporary? Ooh, contemporary, because at, at least I'd get a new batch, right? That's true. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, you'd get a new one every, because contemporary will always be there, so it'll always be new stuff. There will always that's be That's a really smart choice. I will never run out. <laughs> and now this is the trademark of PRP, um, Bambi's dad or Hercules? I listened to one of your episodes. I still don't get this. But how can I how can I not answer Bambi's luscious father? How can you not? How can, how you can not? I not? How can you not? <laughs> yes. Oh, That's oh. cursed. Yes. Cursed. <laughs> it is cursed. <laughs> yeah, that is magnet to your computer. I think we got that done in two minutes. I forgot to set a timer yet again. But <laughs> yeah, that was great. Wow. Learn thoroughly, a lot, especially about burning furniture. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now we're going to get on to the reading of the play, which is Blacktop Jungle by Jared Goudsmit. Uh, ben, can you read off the cast list? Absolutely. All right. So reading the role of Linda, we have Kira Backlion. Hi, what's up? Um, Becky will be read by Kayla Kernine. Hello. And Kurt will be read by Mr. Logan Gould. Hey. And finally, reading stage directions, our very own Mitchell Huntley. Hey, guys. All right. In darkness, film noir jazz sets a mysterious tone. Gradually, lights rise to reveal the sketchy back corner of a school playground. Equipment is strewn about. A jump rope here, a hula hoop there. Linda Sharp donning a dusty purple jacket and menacing shades, gazes out at the mass of frolicking children with disdain. Addressing the audience. Look at them. Look at how they smile, playing their little games. Hiding. Seeking. Hopped up on hopscotch. Kicking the can till they can't kick the bucket. They act like... children. She raises two fingers to the cigarette-like white stick in her mouth and pulls out a lollipop. She peers deep into its Tootsie Roll center, just as Hamlet might gaze into the eyes of Yorick's skull. Are they really so obnoxious to the cruelty of life? Or do they mock the hardship with their glee? Either way, they're as soft and artificial as the rubber mulch on which they tread. She brings the lollipop to her teeth, biting down with a sickening crunch. I'll never be welcomed here. Not really. See, I was raised in the pre-K across the tracks. And you just can't change a person's nature, mine or theirs. Not at their age. Enter Becky Buchanan, chipper and carefree, in all pink attire. Who are you talking to? Linda jumps. She turns around annoyed. What do you want? I'm actually playing a game right now. It's called Runaway Becky. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, I play with my best friends. The rules are, I look to see where they are on the playground, and wherever they are, I have to run away. My name's Becky. Sounds fun. Yeah, we play it every day. It isn't too hard, though, so I can talk if you want. I'd rather not. Well, I just know you're new and all, and you look kind of lonely over here. Lonely? You think I'm lonely? No, uh, I didn't mean to... I choose not to pine for affection. You understand? I refuse to sacrifice any part of myself for your validation. Oh. Sure, yeah, that makes sense to me. 
I can't imagine your classmates would agree, Becky. They wear their hearts on their sleeves. No, worse. They break their own heart in two and give half away. A common custom. The ceremony of the BFF necklace. The splitting of the soul. The destruction of an individual spirit glorified and praised. It makes me sick. You seem really smart. I like you. To the audience. Well, I'm a sucker for an ego boost. If I really have been forced into the ranks of these sheep, I might as well learn their customs. And in this merciless world, it'll be good to know someone so expendable. So, what do you want to talk about? I want information, kid. Give me the rundown on this place. Who's irritating? Who's tolerable? Who should be avoided at all cost? The whole shebang. Wait a second. I don't even know your name. I want to learn all about you if we're going to be friends. We're not going to be... Okay, fine. My name is Linda. Anything else? Oh, what's your favorite color? Indigo. What's your favorite animal? The lamprey. I don't know what that is, but it sounds awesome. It is. Oh, what's your favorite book? I'm actually finishing The Prince by Niccolo Machiavelli. His name's been smeared throughout history, but his words on war and power and human nature? Timeless. Does it have princesses? No, it does not have princesses. Well, is he gonna write a sequel? What? With a princess. Ugh. My favorite book is Henry and the Biggest Cookie in the World. It's about this boy named Henry. Uh Uh-huh. And he bakes the biggest cookie in the world. Uh Uh-huh. It's really good. To the audience, motioning towards Becky. There has to be something beneath this facade... This cannot be all that it that this cannot be all there is. What's a facade? Becky, you can be honest with me. What do you really think of your peers? I mean, well, maybe some of them aren't really that nice. Hmm. Because they don't like to spend time with me, I don't think. But hey, at least there's Kurt. He makes sure to say hello to me every day. He's very reliable. Who? Oh, here he comes. Hi, Kurt. Kurt Marino, an intimidating fourth grader in a heavy brown jacket, lumbers in. Becky, tax day. You know the drill. She rummages through her pockets and pulls out a wadded-up dollar bill. Kurt opens a small sack of money, and Becky drops her dollar in. Who's the new kid? This is Linda. She's really friendly. I'll fill her in on how things work around here tomorrow. Don't forget your lunch money. You hear me? Excuse me? I said don't forget your lunch money. Tomorrow's tax day, one dollar per person. And what do I get from this exchange, Kurt? Protection. Protection. Ridiculous. Intimidation, threats, sheer force. The natural cruelty of humankind, rearing its ugly head, and for what, a dollar? What is she doing? Honestly, I'm still not sure. And yet my frustration with 
A brute like Kurt cannot compare to my loathing for the masses who appease him, who allow his reign to, of terror to thrive. The root of his inaction is fear, plain and simple, and fear is its weakness. I refuse to be weak. She's kind of freaking me out. She's been that other pre-K? Listen to me, Kurt. I have no sympathy for these kickball-playing clowns. Do as you wish with them, rob and terrorize and such all you want. But you will not demand a penny from me. And you will return Becky her dollar. It's okay, Linda. My mom always packs me an extra dollar. It's practically tradition at this point. She was going to talk to his parents about it, but they're honestly kind of scary, too. I learned from the best. You don't want to get on my bad side, friend. I've let cartoned milk expire just to slip it on a rival's lunch tray. I've whittled plastic spoons into prison shivs. Ever heard of the tetherball incident? That's... That's an urban legend. You'll find out just how legendary it is. Soon enough. Why do you think I moved here, punk? You'll pay your dollar like the rest of them, kid. In fact, I'd like you to pay up right now. Oh, I'll give you exactly what's owed you. Snapping into action, Linda snatches up the jump rope at her feet. Kurt runs towards Linda, arms outstretched. After a struggle, Linda manages to wrap the jump rope around his wrists with surprising strength. Drop the money. But... Linda knees him in the gut. Drop it. He does, whimpering a little. Fine, take the dollar. I think I'll take however much I want. Grab the bag, Becky. Linda unhands Kurt, who scampers meekly off stage. Linda is, for once, nervous. She turns to Becky. Hey, so sorry if that was a little, uh... Amazing. You're really scary, but in a good way. Did you see the look on his face? I did. I think he was more surprised than anything. I'd better be prepared if he comes back. I really don't think he will. Hey, I'm really glad I got to know you today, Linda. I... Thank you, I... (laughs) Whoa! Look at all the stuff in here. The spoils of war. Toys and candy and tons of stuff. I suppose we'll be returning it. Well, I don't know. Seems to me that people are going to be grateful getting any of it back. You and me, we were really brave standing up to him like that. Oh, yes. The two of us. 50-50. Yeah. We should get a, you know, a finder's fee, don't you think? You know what? You're all right, kid. (gasps) Hey, a necklace. Super awesome BFFs. Whoa, it's so shiny. Check it out. Smiling, Becky holds a necklace out. Linda considers. She opens her mouth to speak. Blackout. Well, thank you so much, actors. It was amazing what you guys did. I'm so glad you guys could join us today. Thank you guys so much. We'll be sending you guys a feedback form so you can give uh, your thoughts to help Jared with the development of his play. So yeah, thank you so much. Great to see you guys. All right, so now uh, Ben and I are going to give our feedback to uh, Jared uh, on his play. Absolutely. So, Ben, do you want to start? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I really liked what you were able to do here, uh, especially one thing that stood out for me is your stage directions. You've got like, a really nice voice there, and um, I always love a good playwright that can capture their own voice without making it sound like 
uh, you know, drab, kind of dry. Because you took, like, the film noir aspect with um, with Linda, and I also kind of felt like that within the stage directions as well. So it really creates, like, an entire experience for, like, the reader. And, yeah, you do a really good job of writing style and creating each character with their own voice. Yeah, you just have a, a really great ear for comedy, I guess. Yeah, thank you so much, man. Absolutely. It's, um yeah, I really loved how each character and the stage directions had this, yeah, had this very distinct voice and it was very, and it was very nice, like the contrast between the characters and the, like the conflict was really there with um, Kurt. I loved this story and like these characters. I just want to know more about them, which is a good thing. You don't have yeah. to like add more. I really like these characters, even mm-hmm. Kurt. It just, yeah. they were all really compelling and, and I really enjoyed that. And I really enjoyed the mm-hmm. film, film noir jazz. Like I was like, oh, I can picture, I can picture like it's like like nice like yeah like i can picture that and it was just nice and really refreshing yeah I, I love how you can tell each character like who who they are like from like their first line you already know like everything about them which yes, is that's I, always, always what i go that. for yes that's a really I good always, i love that too i love i i know it's like a i forget who is it arthur miller who did that like something he tried to do he's he's like the first line defines the character and like mm-hmm. yeah that really I really enjoy that. I especially also liked the constant fourth wall breaks and how it's not just like a fourth wall break. It's also this is just her talking on the playground, (laughs) which is it's just you use the you use the like that situation and like the comedic potential of it really well. Mm -hmm. Like I was the kid on the playground where I would be like, you know what? I'm I'm done with this conversation. I'm making my dramatic exit and I would like turn around and just walk off. Like I can totally imagine like like a kindergarten or something like a student doing that. Like literally like my life is a movie. Like it, it's 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 so real. I love it. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's my reflex as well on on the playground with <laughs> I am yeah, the center of the universe. Mm-hmm. I, uh, yeah, I could. De- I definitely relate to that. Like it's a very. It's a. I think it's like a playwright. So like we're like I'm creating this world around. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> I something the audience can't see because it's uh, on the document. But there's an author's note here. It says the roles are to be performed by adults. Each character played as sincerely and seriously as children take themselves, which I, I thought was really nice. And it reminded me of the Pulitzer finalist Dance Nation and oh. how those are. T- mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if you know that, but they're, they're, those are played by the characters that are like prepubescent girls. They're played by oh, okay. um, like adults. And I saw a Steppenwolf production of it. They had people ranging from like their like late 20s to people in like their 60s and 70s and mm-hmm. just like having like adults play that, I think that's a really nice touch. And although we couldn't fulfill that here, I think mm-hmm. I can just see how well that would translate. Yeah, on, on the stage, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the biggest thing was, I, I honestly, the absurdity is there with the age that we had, if I'm being real. Like, as long as it's not actual elementary schoolers. Right, I actually, yeah. although Linda uh, would be funny as a as if, Linda would be yeah. funny if that kid could actually comprehend that. It's it's, it's actually funny. I um, the, the, these characters, well, Kurt is new, but Linda and Becky are actually from a film that I directed when I was in high school, like sophomore year when I was in high school. I made like a twenty minute movie, um, called The Goddaughter, about <laughs> about Linda and her rise to power. And the center of the, the film was <laughs> her Machiavellian rise to power. Yes, and she controls the school with an iron fist. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so good. She was she was trying to take control over sort of like the the current like 
blonde-haired, blue-eyed heiress to the school who is this girl named Chloe. And, um, yeah, it was, it was all it was this giant power struggle. And Becky was the mm-hmm. only innocent one throughout. It was this whole neo-noir school. <laughs> See what, uh, what, she, what she put in someone's bed, not a horse. Had I got I not a person. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh man. Yeah, I really, I really enjoyed it. It's very nice, very funny, very refreshing. I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Questions. <laughs> All right. So now we're gonna ask you just some questions. Uh, yes. Do a little interview, more than usual, because we're gonna have a lot of time to follow up. Yeah. yeah. Quite a few questions. Let's go. <laughs> All right. Uh, ben, do you want to take the first question? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, what inspired you to write this piece? Oh man. I have been, well, like I said, the film, I, I, I made a film and I don't know why, but I've continually gravitated towards these strange, strange characters <laughs> where, um, man, it had to be like freshman year of high school. I was, it, there was a running joke that I was making about like a little, like, it wasn't even a little power hungry girl. It was like more of a, like creepy little unabomber girl who was like (laughs) incredibly violent and then we sort of toned that down (laughs) into a power hungry girl who was trying to uh, take control of like her student council kind of thing and that's what the movie is more based on i mean you guys can probably both attest to this the only thing that really gets me writing is a competition or something where there's a clear deadline because yeah. if I don't have the clear deadline, it's very hard to self-motivate. So the Young Playwrights Festival in Los Angeles, <laughs> their deadline was just around the corner. And I'm like, let's go. I got to write something for them. I got to be considered. And um, so I wrote this. I was like, well, I've got these characters. I can probably tamper with them a little bit. And I don't know why I'm so drawn to the idea of little children being jaded but I just yeah. love that's so funny. <laughs> staring into the lollipop with like Hamlet like intensity, Hamlet like intensity. That was actually the, the biggest struggle I had in writing this play was probably, do I go with the lollipop or the other option I had was I liked the idea of her pulling out a fun dip stick, Oh, which it's hard. That's a hard choice. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's so funny. Because the lollipop stick, you got the benefit of it really could look like a cigarette on stage. Whereas a fun dip stick, you yeah. may not know what it is, but you're like, that's not a cigarette. I don't know what that well, reveal is going to be, but you don't know, right? Plus, you have the disgusting sound of when the lollipop comes out of the mouth. Of- <laughs> <laughs> mm. It's like, mm-hmm. yes, you've got the, the benefit of the sound and yeah. the color of the lollipop. But I did also like the visual of the fun dip stick. And then she like vigorously like <laughs> sticks it in the back. Oh, that so good. Like she's, like she's on something. Like there's an addiction problem, Linda. Or she uses the fun dip. She uses the fun it's, dip it's bag like, like a Zippo. Yeah. It's like it's like a it's like it's like Frank Underwood and smoking. <laughs> she's always At his got window. fun dip stick. But what flavor is the the lollipop? <laughs> Blueberry, because it's indigo. What What do you want audiences to take away from this play? That is an excellent question. <laughs> um, man, so I have been writing a lot of wacky comedies. Um, I wrote a Wild West play with the woman tied to the railroad tracks. 
and a, the bandit who's tying her there is a nervous wreck messing with the tropes. I wrote a play. It's like sci-fi. You got like 90s bro aliens cruising through the universe. <laughs> Definitely written some weird stuff and I never know what the audience takeaway is supposed to be and the theory I've come up with is that they will figure it out for you. <laughs> if you write yeah. what you find is funny and it just and it feels right, then it means something. And your audience will tell you what it means later. And you'll be that's like, oh, I do believe that. That's that is so, something. That's that's a good man, that's a really good that, idea. that is exactly what it was supposed to, Yes, that's exactly what I meant. You're totally right. Yep. Yes. Oh. I, it, and it, it it dawned on me slowly because it occurred to mm-hmm. me again and again. People will find meaning in things. People will always, even if you have no, no intent. It's actually the reason why earlier I said I love the Coen brothers so much. Because the Coen brothers, there's a great quote of theirs that I love where they had gotten Academy Award for best screenplay for Fargo, which all of their friends in the industry said, don't make Fargo. Fargo is ridiculous. Fargo is about cops in... Where are they from? Minnesota? Like, uh, it, and it's North, like, it's North not Dakota. easy to categorize. It's like not quite a comedy. It's not Minnesota. Where are they from? North oh, Dakota. Oh, duh, North Dakota because Fargo. But they're not, but they're not in Fargo for most of it. They're in Brainerd. I am so uncultured. I don't even know. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they're somewhere up north. They're somewhere that Hollywood doesn't care about. I'll, I'll put um, an insert in that. I'll be like. Hey guys, this is Mitchell, and we're this gonna- is Mitchell <laughs> telling you that Jared is not correct. It is not Minnesota. My goodness, it's not even close. And yet it was. But it's somewhere that Hollywood does not care about, and Hollywood is pretty sure American audiences don't care about uh, as a whole. So they're like, "Don't make it. You're not going to make any money." Oh my word, this is a terrible idea. And they made it, and somehow got an Oscar for it and also got like good acclaim from audiences. And the next movie they made was the big Lebowski, which again, <laughs> what, what is that? You know, like, what is that movie? Random is- nonsense. And a friend of theirs asked them, he said, are you going to go like more art house? Are you going to like go mainstream now that you've had mainstream success and you can probably get whatever actors or directors you want? Or, or not do they direct their own stuff, but like you can get the producers you want, you can get the funding you want. What are you going to make now that you're recognized? And how are you, you know, you're going to try to make money now for the sake of making money. And they were like, you know, if Fargo wins an Oscar, if Fargo can win an Oscar, nothing makes sense. And we might as well just make stuff we want to make. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Make stuff you want to make. Honestly, right. that's such... If I, if I if I if I may put put yeah. an idea of what audiences take away from this play, please, um, I would love to hear it. <laughs> I, I'll say what I think, and you can be like, "Yes, that's the that's the takeaway I went from this." Um, I definitely <laughs> thought that, um, at least for myself, what I took away was that often people surprise you, and um, and you might find yourself jaded at times, mm. but you can always learn something new and grow as a person, which I think is what happens with Linda. Absolutely. I know I, I'm, I'm fully on, but actually there is one thing I was thinking about when I was writing and it's definitely in the ending. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's as 
apparent or even if it's anywhere in earlier in the play. But I definitely had the idea, whether it shows up in the text or not, that deep down, Linda's pretty insecure. She is definitely standing alone in the corner of the playground. And no matter how cool she acts, she's still a kid who, like, talks to herself in the edge of the playground and, like, dismisses everybody else. But they Mm -hmm. don't exactly want to hang out with her either. So I liked the idea that at the end when Becky extends the BFF necklace, something softens in Linda, something melts in Linda, uh, enough that she can consider taking it. And whether yeah. she takes it or not, we, we have the blackout. But <laughs> <laughs> I, always, I always love that. The, the Let's let the audience decide what happens at the end. What do yes. they think happens? Like, uh, what's the... There's a... There's an August Wilson play where two siblings are fighting over like a piano i think it is uh fighting over um that they're inheriting from their i think grandfather i'm gonna fact check this and there will be an insert after this but uh (laughs) and one of the things he he doesn't decide what like who gets it and he lets the Hmm. audience decide it's or he didn't decide and then ultimately decided i forget what happened Hmm. but one of the things was like i love like the the having the audience project like what they're thinking onto the piece Mm-hmm. Uh, I know I've done that with like a play of mine before, like where I yep. don't. Yeah, Ben Ben was Ben seen it. He's like, yep. He just doesn't answer the question. He's like, let's let's go again from the top, and then and then I just leave it at the audience. And oh, well, I get frustrating. I, people get frustrated with me from that. Oh, it was very. I watched that show and I was like, Mitchell, what what is the resolution here? But yeah, I really I enjoy that as a writer. Is like that, not yeah. like not giving everything, letting the audience not giving everything away. And yeah. and the big thing for me with the ending is that I like to think whether Linda takes the BFF necklace or rejects it, she's not rejecting the friendship. It feels inevitable that she and Becky will become thick as thieves. And all it took was, you know, Linda seeing Becky threatened and realized that there's something about that she doesn't like. And also the realization that Becky's capable of a little, uh, a little, a little self, uh, selfishness herself with the whole <laughs> taxing the student body thing. <laughs> and she's like, oh, she may be cheerful, but she's not naive. She's got a little something to her. <laughs> and all it took was a little, a little, a little give on both ends. And you're like, even if Linda goes, why would I ever? <laughs> they'll still, they'll still be close. <laughs> I like to think that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh, man. But yes, ambiguity. Ambiguity is fun. Hey, everyone. Mitchell editing here. I just wanted to clarify that Fargo does take place in both Fargo, North Dakota, and it does take place in Minnesota, as well as the play I was talking about was The Piano Lesson by August Wilson. What is your process for getting an idea and getting it on the page? Ooh. I have, I have no idea. I mean, I will, I feel like often just to get me writing, I'll just combine things. Just the classic, like combining things that would not ordinarily be combined. And often the combination will be a genre of film I like, say noir, and a setting where that makes no sense. And or, or characters where that makes no sense, and um, 
it's a simple, straightforward writing prompt, but it gets me going at least. And um, this summer, taking advantage of the chaos nightmare that is quarantine, I'm going to try and write something full length. That is a goal. I'm gonna gonna actually collaborating with Gabby Garcia from Playworks oh, yeah, yeah. 2019. Yeah, it was in her show. Oh, awesome! Show. Yeah, yeah, man, she's awesome. She's really cool. Collaborating mm-hmm. with her, um, we are still early in it. I don't know how much she wants me to reveal. I think I can say this much: <laughs> um, musical. Maybe dare we dare we attempt. To say the word opera as if we have any qualifications to make an opera, but ridiculous over the top. Yeah. Ridiculous over the top in the vein of a musical or opera um, with the legendary um, as a character. We're we're in discussion. We're in discussion. She's had this. She's had this idea for a while. Um, No, nobody steal it. That's ours. Um, <laughs> we, can, we can we can we can bleep it out. Oh yes, redacted, and it will have redacted. the. Yes, the... <laughs> let's say I can. Let's say I can say this. It's about he could not say this. <laughs> that's good. That's good. We've had but, to read, we've had to redact that section. Yeah. It's yes. Redacted. We'll just say it's redacted. Secret we'll say that it's about a truly mythic figure. A truly, okay. Yeah. Truly. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an American myth. It's American mythology, really. It, yeah. I mean, it is. That's it not even really. Like, is. It really yeah, is. It's American it's a, mythology, which is why, which is actually part of the reason we were talking about how opera may or may not be a good framework, because yeah. this <laughs> individual is a mythic figure who is deserving so of the greatest arias. Yeah, <laughs> it's the American spirit. <laughs> I mean, personally, I I know that like. Musical theater is like the most original, like American art form. So it's like those two kind of like I can see why musical theater would be really good. Yeah. Which brings me on to the next question oh, yeah. because, as I know, uh, you also have written musicals. Yeah. Uh, and I'm a musical theater writer. Ben is a musical theater writer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what do you? Th- what is the difference in your process when you're writing a play versus writing a musical? Like how you do you approach this? Yes. Differently. Or if they approach them the same, like... Yeah, no, I... There's definitely a difference. Now, to be fair, I have written one. I have written one. I worked very hard on it. I worked very hard on it. I have only written the one. I will write more. Um, But from the experience I've had, I would say that with a play, you're trying very, very hard to avoid cliché and to avoid... Well, I don't even want to say cliché, but formula. You want to avoid formula. You want to change things up, especially when it's a short form play. You can take some big risks like, I don't know, whatever this show was <laughs> and have something really bizarre change up the way you tell the story as well, which is something I hope to experiment with more. Um, mess with time, mess with space. You can do all kinds of experimental stuff that maybe people wouldn't have the patience for in a full length or whatever or even in a, in a musical, which – I mean, there are 10-minute musicals. They're impressive. Yeah. I'm impressed by that. That's insane. Um, but yeah. with musicals, maybe it's because I'm a Sondheim fanatic, as everybody is. Um, yeah, <laughs> we love him. Uh, got got both books. Get hyped. Um, 
Maybe it's because of the obsession with Sondheim that led to learning that Stephen Sondheim makes crossword puzzles to looking at crossword puzzles as an allegory to making musical theater. But it really feels like a puzzle that has to be constructed. Mm, And you have to be very, very clear about how these characters are changing. You can tackle complex stuff, but like Sondheim always says, clarity. Everything in the service of clarity. Whereas plays are very often about ambiguity and about, you know, not taking people on a joy ride where you mess with all their expectations for the fun of it, but like toy with your audience a little bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which get them on the edge of their seat, get them on the edge of their seat with plays. Whereas there's so much being thrown at you song and dance and convoluted lyrics that rhyme and crazy things going down that you, but it's not dumbed down either. It's just like made, Blatant for you for your yeah, viewing you have pleasure. To have, it has to be even clearer because mm-hmm. you have all these elements thrown. Because you've got right, a lot right. going on. Then again, like one of my favorite shows, Sondheim, is Company, and Company is the weirdest thing I've ever seen, and I still don't know what it means. But one he day, was one day, one day, one day, one day we'll understand. You'll understand what it means. So it'll all be click. there too. Like one day one you'll day. you'll wake up and you'll be like. Oh, now I understand. I understand, Bobby. I understand this all. <laughs> you just get really lonely one day and you're like, oh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You're yeah. like, I don't maybe you're like be like, maybe I don't want to go to Barcelona. that's a great scene. That's actually straight up play dialogue turned into it a is. song. I love that scene. Yeah. Man. Mm hmm. So when you write musical theater, are you do you write music as well, or is it mainly just lyrics and book for you? Um, it is mainly lyrics and book. I am proud to say I wrote one song in Wrath of the PTA. <laughs> it was one of the first songs we wrote. I had a little tune. I'm like, here's something. And Max was like, that works. <laughs> and we put it together. And um, But no, I mainly do uh, book and lyrics, mm-hmm. especially book. That was the big thing I got. Uh, do you know Mark D. Kaufman? The legend himself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. what a dude. Um, he sort of acted as our official, unofficial, unofficial dramaturg. For, oh, really? Um, <laughs> which, was, which was nice because, you know, you don't ordinarily get one. You just get the, the director and music director. And it's like, I want, right. I want more critiques. I want, but he was able to speak with me in advance. Oh, we love dramaturgs. Like, we love them. Yeah. Joe Norton saved uh, how to get a vibe. <laughs> we love them. We, we learn to love them. <laughs> but yeah. Um, but he was like, this is a very book heavy musical. I'm like, yeah, music makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> so he helped me spread out the music a little bit and now mm-hmm. I'm having delusions of grandeur where I want to write an opera we'll see, we'll see <laughs> well, how that goes yeah. then it's gotta go ambitious gotta <laughs> go ambitious oh man alright All right, so now we're gonna play uh, a game Ooh. as I'm sure you've you said you've watched an episode so you do know that I get contractually get one uh, NPR style game per episode <laughs> yes so this is a game called tetherball trouble because uh, like linda our midday machiavelli she is of course the one who perpetrated the legendary tetherball incident 
the aim of this game is to I'll be giving you trivia on tetherball facts and you'll have to guess which is correct. Um, so yeah, maybe like if I said the word tetherball starts with a T, you'd be oh. correct. Except the rest of these will be multiple choice. So that was oh, just multiple choice. Give you you, yeah, T give you D A. a. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So all right. Yeah. So X X so, uh, yeah. B's question one. The earliest description of Tetherball comes from a 1909 book by Jesse Hubble Bancroft, the founder and president of the American Posture League. What is the name of that book? Is it A, school gymnastics with light apparatus, B, games to the playground, home, school, and gymnasium, C, easy athletic activities for the playground, or D, the posture of school children? <laughs> I want it to be... One of those long titles, despite it being so different from the other answers, I want to say D, the posture of school children. <laughs> that is a real book he wrote, but that is not the one in which. Oh, it is wait, are they all real? Oh, yeah. Do uh, tell. The only one that isn't is C. C is I, I made that one up. <laughs> but the other the other two, A and B, are real books. And the real answer was B, games to the playground, home, school, and gymnasium. School and gymnasium. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was 1909. Titles of books were longer. Titles of books were longer. <laughs> All right. Question two. When a player makes an error in tetherball, it is called a violation. Which of the following isn't a violation in tetherball? Is it A, stepping onto the other player's side of the pole? B, hitting the ball with the back of your hand? C, hitting the ball before it has circled the pole? Or D, touching the rope? Which of those is not a violation? Is not a violation. Could you say B again? <laughs> Hitting the ball with the back of your hand. And what was A? Stepping onto the other player's side of the pole. I'm going to say B is not a violation. You would be correct. Yeah! Uh, it is not a violation. It just hurts like the dickens. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I just imagine. Ah. It's not a violation. It's not a uh, violation. It's not a violation. Not... But none of them are violations if you're Linda. <laughs> Question three. While not a competition at the games, tetherball is officially recognized as a sport by the International Olympic Committee. True or false? <laughs> I so desperately want that to be true. I'm going to say true. It is, in fact, false. No! It is not officially recognized. It is not officially recognized as a sport, much to the chagrin of the many blog posts claiming to be the National Tetherball Association that I found when I Googled Tetherball. <laughs> I am furious. I am outraged. I am writing a strongly worded letter. Yeah, send your, send your, send your strongly worded letters to the uh, P.O. Box. In, uh, um, question four. <laughs> The game of tetherball begins when a player yells sides and ways. True or false? Again, these are just too juicy to not be true. <laughs> I, I'm going for it again. It's true. That is absolutely correct. Yes! I've never played so, a game correctly then, apparently. I Apparently, we've never... I've never... Maybe this is why it's not officially recognized as a sport, because no one knows about the sides and ways thing, and so you can't have an actual... So you've never... Act, no one's ever actually played tetherball. No one's ever, ever right. actually played, played tetherball. I want, I want an Olympics official in the vein of shooting off the pistol with Go. a megaphone. <laughs> sides and ways. and ways. Well, one of the players is supposed to do it, so... Oh, one of the players. Who, who decides that? Oh. Coin toss. That's, a, that's the... That's the power move, is to declare yes. the side, side to waste. <laughs> All right. So, 
Final question. Uh, question number five. There is a variation of tetherball where the game is played with a sponge ball and rackets. What is it called? Is it A, Zam Zim, B, Racket Pole, C, Totem Tennis, or D, it's still called Tetherball? <laughs> Again, <laughs> I'm making these decisions based entirely on what I want them to be. <laughs> Please give me Totem Tennis. <laughs> you are correct. It is Totem Tennis. <laughs> that is 100% correct. It is, and just... I made up racket pole. That was that was my own creation. That's good. But Zamzim is there was there's actually a real version of totem tennis that was sold in the United States as Zim Zam. So that was kind of maybe wow. it was gonna be a trick question, you but you got it right. So that was you got three That's out of five correct. Three out of five. I got that. Yeah, passing three out of five. Sixty percent, or as I find That's as an I a learned. In your sc- <laughs> That's a pass. That's a pass. Um, oh, I'll take pass away. fail. Oh man! Take your, it's take a, your we credit. Live in a beautiful world. We, we live in a live, world. It's so rich with rich with culture and really. zimzam. And zimzam. We live in a wow. But not tetherball because no one's playing correctly. Not no tether. No tetherball. It's not officially a sport. Oh man! And if you want to change that, dear viewers, make sure you uh, send your uh, <laughs> send your angry letters to the uh, International Olympic this, Committee. This took a political turn. It's to take a political turn. This is. In fact, this is not even the Play Out Arbitrary podcast now. I welcome everybody to the Justice for Tetherball podcast. <laughs> Tetherball I'm a tr- Liberation Front. Li- liberate Tetherball. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. All right, so now, Jared, can you let our viewers know where they can uh, find you and find your work? Oh, yes. It's a good the place plug. to plug your social media. Yeah. Yes. Um, oh, man. I, I do not have a, a website. I'm not that cool. But I do have... <laughs> I do have Instagram. I got the gram. Uh, at Jared.goudsmith. J-A-R-E-D dot G-O-U-D-S-M-I-T. I love my name. It's a beautiful name. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, follow me on Instagram. DM me. Whatever, man. <laughs> Start a conversation. Start a convo. Join yeah, be like, hey, you up. Tetherball movement. <laughs> You up? Sides and ways? <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for being here, Jared. And it's you, always so fun to talk to you. And it was a great play. It's a great time. Wonderful. Had a wonderful time, man. Had a great time. You did too. Thank you so much. Oh, man. Thank you, Mitchell. Thank you, Ben. Great to meet you. Nice meeting you. A lovely time. <laughs> All right, so that was uh, Jared Goudsmith and his play Blacktop Jungle. If you want your play to be featured on the Playwright Repertory podcast, you can submit it at tinyurl.com slash prpsubmit. Again, that's tinyurl.com slash prpsubmit. Or you can email us at play.rep.podcast at gmail.com. We can't wait to read your play, and we're excited to workshop it. Uh, you can find us now we are on so many different platforms almost anywhere you can get your podcast spotify google Podcasts, apple podcast we're on stitcher um you can ask your alexa or your uh google home tell them hey google play playwright repertory podcast and they'll play it um wow yeah, so oh, wow. you can find us wherever you will find their podcasts
Right. So that's our show for this week. Uh, thank you, Ben, for being an excellent guest co-host. Um, yeah, this was so fun. I'm so glad that you guys had me co-host. Um, I loved reading for you guys the last time. It's just been so fun to be, be involved with you guys. Um, really hoping that you guys can save Sarah from, you know, the Death Star by, by next week. But, you know, I'm, I'm always around if you guys need another co-host. So, Ben, any final thoughts? Well, we found out how many licks it takes to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop. I guess the world now knows. Thanks for listening. See you next week. <laughs>